good morning. I love it when there's a good response to that. I'm glad to be here to, to teach from God's Word. It's uh, something we can easily just slip into as a matter of routine. I encourage you this morning, don't look at it like that. We're about to hear from the Word of God. We're going to be encouraged by what's true. And not only is it true, it's life-giving. So my hope is this morning you will find life in the Word of God. And we're going to do that by continuing in our series uh, on wisdom and looking into specifically this for this uh first section of the wisdom literature, we're looking into Proverbs. And Jared gave an introduction last week to the series and to the book of Proverbs. I hope that if you were here for that, that you have taken upon yourself to begin to study Proverbs on your own. And I think that there's a lot of wisdom in preparing yourself to, to study uh, or to hear from God's Word on a Sunday morning before you get here on a Sunday morning. So do that prayerfully. Um, but but read your Bibles. That's something that's fundamental to our faith. Let's depend on the Word of God outside of a Sunday morning. And the Proverbs are easy to read. In fact, you could, you could read them in a day easily, uh, a couple of hours maybe even for some. Or you can take one, in a, day, one a day for a month because there's 31 of them. So any month works except for February. You got to squeeze them in there. Um, but they're sayings, back-to-back sayings, general truths. But the Word of God is truth for all of life. So it's edifying, it's encouraging, but there's a way in which you can read Proverbs and it be legalistic. It, it, could, it could boost your pride if you think, I'm wise, I'm really good at this. Or it could shame you if you think, I'm a fool and I'm really bad at this. So there's, there's definitely a need to go at it, not just uh, with any mindset, but one firmly rooted in Christ. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, Our Father wants us to live our best life. So we call this series The Best Life. Um, And many have an idea of what's best in life or what best life is or how to live your best life now. There's different people who have these different ideas. Uh, But if I say to you this morning, your Father wants you to live your best life, do you believe that? It feels like there's a need to nuance. At least it does for me. If I, if I were to hear someone say, your Father in heaven wants you to live the best life, I would have a lot of questions because there's a lot of things in my life that I don't think are best. If that's really what he wants, and he's this omniscient, omnipotent God, why is it life doesn't feel the best all the time? It's a reasonable question. Uh, but the question to you this, this morning is, do you believe he actually wants what's best for you? Because by his grace and in his spirit, we can have a life full of wisdom, and that is for our good. It is what's best for us, but ultimately it's for His glory. So it's not always the way we think it should be, but it's for His glory. So instead of believing that, we, we convince ourselves that we know better than God, and we try to take matters into our own hands. To paraphrase Paul David Tripp, and he writes a devotional book. This is taken out of that. Uh, he says, we're skilled at minimizing danger, questioning boundaries, and thinking we're smarter than God. We're skilled at minimizing dangers, questioning boundaries, and thinking we're smarter than God. In our sin nature, in the flesh, we're really good at that, and because of that, we don't live into what God has for us, and we don't experience what's best. We think we have wisdom. We think we're wise in our own eyes. We think we know what's best. So let's consider wisdom. Last week, we talked about it in in depth. I just want to define it quickly before we get into what we're going to talk about this morning. 
uh, by using John Piper's definition, so you can expect it to be wordy. He always is wordy. He says, wisdom is the factual knowledge, specifically human wisdom, is the factual knowledge, the situational insight, and the necessary resolve. So there's an equation here. Factual knowledge plus situational insight plus the necessary resolve that together have the greatest likelihood of success in achieving the intended righteous goal. So just to kind of help get our minds around it, it's, it's the need for an, an accurate in, amount of information. That's the, the factual knowledge. It has to be accurate. So truth, knowledge, plus discernment. So insight. We have to have the ability to understand a situation, to read the crowd, to, to, to know how things just kind of common sense work itself out, to, to know like a situation may go this way or this way or this way, and I have the knowledge, the factual knowledge, to know what to do in the situation because of an intuition, because of discernment. So it's not just knowledge, factual knowledge, but also an ability to have insight and discernment. But that, it can't stop there because you need to have the resolve to actually do something with that knowledge. So action is a part of this. There's conviction, there's faith necessary to carry out these things decisively. And that's a rare combination, but that's wisdom. Wisdom has knowledge, it has discernment, it has boldness, it has faith. It's a wonderful mix of intellect and intuition moved into action. That's wisdom. So the Hebrews know this well. In fact, the word in in the book of Proverbs they use for wisdom, or the authors use for wisdom, is this applied knowledge. It's not just knowledge, but it's, it's knowing how to apply that knowledge in life. It's expertise. It's not just book knowledge. It's like a craftsman, an artist, knowing how to put a, a, put a thing together, how to sculpt it out, seeing it before it is and making it exist. That's wisdom. Therefore, divine wisdom is perfect knowledge. It's perfect situational insight. It's perfect resolve that will perfectly be accomplished, perfectly the righteousness that is necessary. So God has perfect wisdom. In fact, Jesus is perfect wisdom. And in order for us to be wise, we have to have Jesus. We humbly approach the throne of God, not as wise men, but as helpless people, as fools, longing for wisdom, and we get Jesus. So God's wisdom is more than we could ever have on our own, and it's necessary, therefore, for us to humble ourselves long enough to love God's wisdom more than we love our own. So whatever you gain in experience, however old you are, it doesn't matter. Age matters to some extent. Experience matters to some extent, but it's not enough because you're never wise enough to be perfect in your wisdom. So the book of Proverbs shows us how to achieve this, this idea that's laid out in 1 Timothy as Paul writes to this pastor, this young pastor trying to figure things out. He, he writes and we see godliness in 1 Timothy 4.8. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promises for the present life and also the life to come. He's describing wisdom. Our relation to God involves us working to understand God's truth and then embracing and obeying God's truth. That's wisdom. So reading through Proverbs, here's an idea of what we see wisdom is. 
and what it gains for us. So wisdom gives us life. It gives our soul life. So we also see uh, it's a badge of honor to be worn. It's, it provides security for our journey. It gives us peace so that we can sleep. It gives us confidence in the Lord. It gives us a happy life. If we have wisdom, we see that things don't just happen. We, we move into actions and then things happen. We must seek wisdom. We must study for wisdom. We must cherish wisdom and we pursue it. And then we discipline ourselves to maintain it. So all through Proverbs, we see this theme laced through. This is wisdom. Such a life is available and freely given to us if we would just pursue it and ask God for it. Again and again throughout the book of Proverbs, we hear wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. That's taking a posture of humility, seeing who he truly is, being humbled by the reality of who he is again and again, and then wisdom is cultivated. But because we're sinners, we have a sinful nature, we must be given a new nature in order to pursue wisdom. So this brings us to the gospel. This is all an introduction to what we're talking about this morning. It brings us to the gospel because the gospel gives us new nature. And in the gospel, we're humbled before the creator of all things. And in the gospel, we see rightly who our God is. Apart from the gospel, we are incapable of ever being wise. This is summed up in the person of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 through 31. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. So get this, both salvation and righteousness are tied to understanding Jesus as the wisdom of God and then boasting in it. Not in your own wisdom, but boasting in Jesus, the wisdom of God. Those who don't know God, this one true God in whom we boast, are described throughout the book of Proverbs in a few different ways. And that's where we're headed this morning. We're going to talk about the simple-minded we're going to talk about the fool. We're going to talk about the scoffer. In reality, they're all different types of fools, but there's some nuance to it. So we also have sluggards and we have the wicked. Uh, and, and Proverbs use all kinds of words to describe these who are unwise. So in general, we have the wise and we have the unwise. We have a pretty good idea of what it means to be wise now in that introduction. But we're going to take some time this morning to consider what it means to be unwise. And before we get into it, I want to encourage you as I studied this, I, was, I found my soul enriched, but I also found myself uh, sliding into the flesh being judgmental, <laughs> considering those in my life who are fools and how they've hurt me. And so I want to encourage you this morning, don't think about all the fools in your life. Think about you and consider your need for Christ. And I hope that after hearing what wisdom is and what it offers us, that you would desire wisdom, that you would want to be wise and not leave here condemned as sinners or fools, but repent and see Christ and, and desire to be wise in Him. So we can consider these, these ideas, specifically the fool, the scoffer, the, the simple or the naive. We consider these characteristics of an individual, but in Proverbs, very, very much so, they're a person. It's a character of Proverbs. Uh, but I think it's helpful if we consider our souls when we do this. Think about your soul the brokenness, the sin, the way it affects you. Think about who you are and your needs. So surely we've all experienced these things we're about to talk about. 
um, but bring it to who God is. Who is God? What has he done? And what does that mean for us? All right. The fool. All right. Instead of putting a lot of scripture on the screen this morning, I'm going to just reference them. I hope you're okay with that. If not, I don't know what you're going to do. I have a microphone. You don't. So um, I'm going to reference a lot of Proverbs because it's all throughout the book. And you can try to jot those down. If you really want, I can give them to you. But I, I just encourage you to read the book of Proverbs. You'll see it. Um, so this is a synthesis of a fool from the book of Proverbs. A fool is a person who lives contrary to the will and the way of God. They resist even the offer of forgiveness because they don't believe they are ever wrong. They don't think they need to repent. That's Proverbs 14.9. Their apology, if even offered, if they ever even try to apologize for something, it's in vain because it's superficial. They're trying to get something out of it. They don't actually believe they're wrong. They're just saying, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry I hurt you, but they're really not. That's 15.8, an idea from 15.8. In community, fools are dangerous because they're very influential. They're leaders. People want to follow them. In community, they bring down everyone that tries to follow them or ever trusts them. They cause grief. They rob joy. They bring destruction. Proverbs 13.20 says, The companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 17.12 says, Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. It's better for you to meet an angry mama bear than be with a fool. Fools are reactionary. They are easily set off. Their, Their anger comes quickly and they seek revenge. They want to hurt you if you hurt them. And it's not even proportionate in reaction. So you could step on their toe or cuss out their mom or burn down their house. They're going to come at you with all the anger that they have inside of them because they're fools. Proverbs 29, 11 says a fool gives full vent to his spirit. They seek to intimidate and outwit you and not just to win an argument. They want to win you over. They want to win a following, but not just a respectful following, a fearful one. They want you to be afraid of them. They're fools. Fools speak without listening. They decide without ever considering anything what they're going to do. They move into action before any consideration. Proverbs 18.21, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. So they don't ask questions because they assume they're, they're already right. What they feel and what they think is already right. So why even investigate anything? Why would they converse? Why would they seek dialogue? They find no pleasure in knowing anyone or understanding anything. They don't care how you feel. They don't care if you're happy. They don't care if you're heard. They don't care if you're comfortable because they don't ask questions. They live based out of assumption. And you know how that goes. A fool has no interest in learning or understanding. They also keep the tension in every relationship in their life. They want there to be tension because they feel most comfortable there. They enjoy the tension So even if you're trying to make things better, even if you take the high road and apologize, the fool responds by saying, good, I'm glad you see you're wrong. Now here are some other things to maintain the tension. 18 verse 6, a fool's lips walk into a fight. His mouth invites a beating. 
chapter 29, verse 29, if a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs and there's no quiet. There's never peace with a fool. Fools hurt people. Maybe not purposefully because they're foolish, so sometimes it's just accidentally by their very nature. But that's all they know how to do. They're incapable of showing grace that leads to repentance and faith. In fact, when fools try to help, they only cause more harm. They make bad things worse. Chapter 29, verse 9 through 10 demonstrates this. And if you hurt a fool, rather than giving you the benefit of the doubt, they assume the worst about you. They'll slander you. They'll talk behind your back. They'll gossip. They'll build a a group against you. They're trying to destroy you because they feel hurt by you. So to try and reconcile or to try to find understanding is impossible. Proverbs 10, 18. Don't associate with fools is the theme throughout the book. Don't trust them with anything. Don't put anything in their, ha- in their hands. You'll cause harm. You'll be responsible if you trust a fool. They're, they're known for what they could never be. So they're unreliable. They're undisciplined. They're unrealistic. They're unteachable. They're unpleasant. They're undesirable. You don't want fools in your life. Fools are not neutral towards wisdom. They hate it. Don't waste your words on them. You can't teach them. They won't learn. 23 verse 9. And in Proverbs 17, 16, we see, why should a fool have money in his hands to buy wisdom when he has no sense? The, the exact Hebrew word there is he has no heart. So why would you even try to help a fool gain wisdom when he doesn't even have a heart? So to contrast with wisdom, if, if the wise, according to Romans twelve fifteen, if the wise weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, The fool corrects and shame those who weep. The fool rejoices, but only if you're rejoicing in him. They they are only happy when they gain. They're not happy if you're happy. They want to be happy. They don't know how to celebrate happiness in others. We don't know who the fools are, though, because sometimes people just do foolish things. So it doesn't really benefit us to try and name people in our lives who are fools, But when you're around them long enough, you'll begin to see this isn't just a reaction. This is a way of life. This is the person. I think it's important to know that because we have to some in some way discern with wisdom how to respond to foolish people. Otherwise, they'll destroy us. They'll destroy the community. They'll destroy the fellowship. But fools aren't believers. Sometimes believers can be fools. And so how do we respond? Verse four and five of chapter 26 says, I'll read verse 4 first, because this is going to sound strange. Verse 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. So don't answer a fool according to his folly. Otherwise, you'll be a fool yourself. And then verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. I want to make sure you caught it. Verse 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, otherwise you'll be like him yourself. The, the very next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So what that means is there's not a formula for this. We can't just always do this when people act foolish. Sometimes you have to call them out. Sometimes you have to say, this is foolish. You have to show them their folly. Maybe again and again you show them their folly, but at some point 
You've got to stop answering a fool according to his folly unless you become like him yourself. There's no way to figure it out. It takes a wise person to understand how to respond to a fool, to seek understanding. So I think it's helpful if we can see foolishness is far from Christ, but then respond to everyone like Christ would. In chapter 26, verse 12, it says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. So if we take it upon ourselves to decide, I'm wise, I know what to do in the situation, I know who the fools are, Scripture tells us there's actually more hope for the fool than for you. Instead, we depend on Christ. We go to Christ again and again when we're faced with foolishness. I think this will flesh itself out as we continue on, so I'm I'm not going to harp on this any longer, but fools are difficult to spot. There's a time to call a fool a fool and set up boundaries and protect ourselves from them, but we don't rush to do that. There's, it's more dangerous when we talk about an arrogant person who thinks they know what a fool is and then says they're not one. And this person is described in Proverbs as a scoffer. Scoffers are worse than fools. They're a type of fool, but they're worse than fools. They're defined by their arrogance. They're looking down on everyone. A scoffer is a wolf who comes to destroy. A scoffer is an enemy of God at every turn. They, they wait, calm, cool, collected, scheming to destroy. They are enemies opposed to the people of God, and they will destroy. They attempt to rob others of dignity and identity to gain power. In chapter 21, verse 24, it says, A scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts in arrogant pride. So they're not just people who struggle with pride. They are totally depraved of any desire to seek good for anyone else. They're narcissistic. Pride consumes them. They have a sadistic heart. They want to bring suffering to others. That's a scoffer in the book of Proverbs. A fool is reactive in foolish ways as a consequence of their foolishness. The scoffer, according to chapter 24, verse 9, devises folly. He plans for the foolishness. And then he acts to, to bring, a, bring forth suffering, to bring forth harm, to bring forth chaos. The fool is a fool. The scoffer is a wolf. A scoffer isn't just a bully in need of love and attention. You can't just be like, oh, he, he just, hard exterior. He's got a soft heart. You've got to love on him. It's, it's not just a bully who was picked on, so then he picks on others. It's a bully who is bully for life. It's the villain in the story. He only wants to bring about evil for his own gain. He, so don't pity this fool, right? Copyright. Just to throw that out there. Don't pity this fool. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 2 shows us that they can't be corrected because they desire violence. In chapter 1, we see this picture of someone who's inviting us to join with them in evil, to take on this position that I have no reason for this, but let's go cause chaos. That's the voice of the scoffer. In chapter 9, verse 7 through 8, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abused. And he who reproves the wicked may incur injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. So what's amazing is Jesus goes to the fool. Jesus goes to the scoffer, the Pharisees, those who are all about their own way. And he he presents this offer of grace. Now it's rejected again and again, but he starts by calling the wolves to repentance. Jesus models for us how we go to the scoffer. 
Don't go right at them and point out their sin, but instead tell a story maybe. Like Nathan going to David to tell him about his sin. We tell a story like Jesus. We offer up this way of seeing the evil without pointing at them and saying you're evil. And then we ask questions. Jesus asked a lot of questions. Who's the good neighbor? We go to a scoffer with a heart of compassion, but not just to point at their sin, because it's never going to work, but instead describe sin and beg, beg them to, to turn to Jesus, to show them there's repentance as possible. But it, as it worked out for Jesus, first it came the story, then it came condemnation. Woe to you eventually came. And it's true for the scoffer who remains in arrogance. There's, there's not a lot of hope. Maybe a little hope. There's not a lot of hope. It looks very grim in the book of Proverbs. We see in chapter 10, or verse 10, chapter 22, drive out a scoffer. It says to push them out of our presence. Drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and the quarreling and abuse will cease. Scoffer is bringing chaos. The only way to get rid of the chaos is to get rid of the scoffer, according to Proverbs. Chapter 19, verse 29, condemn or condemnation is ready for the scoffer and a beating for the back of fools. And there's benefit here we see in chapter 21, verse 11, when a scoffer is punished, the simple will become wise. So there's benefit in punishing the scoffer. We should do it at some point because those who are immature grow in knowledge. There's arrogance in all of us. Can we admit that? We all feel pride at times. We all feel judgmental of others and so that it makes us feel better about ourselves. We may even at times slip into wanting others to suffer so that we feel better about our situation. That's the scoffer. That's the sin nature rearing its head. And it's an enemy of God. Sometimes our opposition is obvious. If we're a fool or we're a scoffer, we see it. Sometimes it's just immaturity. So this is the, the last person we're going to talk about in the book of Proverbs, the, the naive or the inexperienced or the gullible, or I'll call them the simple Simple-minded. Proverbs 14, verse 15. The simple believe everything. The simple believe everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. So the simple in our culture are abundant. They're all over the place. Not just because people are refusing to learn or, or even accept other people's opinion on things, but because we want the easy path. We want the, the quickest way to satisfaction we can get. We don't want to think too hard about deeper, difficult things. We don't want to try too hard to stand up for people who can't stand for themselves. We want to sit in the ease of our own life. It's a sloth. It's the sluggard. And we want to believe everything because it's too hard to be opposed to anything. It's those who want to take the path of least resistance. Those who don't fear the Lord, they fear people. And so they don't please the Lord, they please people. They constantly live in the moment because to live outside the moment, you have to dwell on the past and that's too hard or you have to consider the future and that's too hard. You keep it simple. Don't kill my vibe. They don't get anxious about things, but it's not because they're wise. They, they're naive. They're altogether ignorant of anything there is to be anxious about. They just don't even think about it. They avoid it. They lack conviction to pursue wisdom, but they also don't pursue folly necessarily. It depends on who's leading at the moment, whatever's easiest. But Proverbs tells us if 
you don't learn, if, as a naive person, if you don't learn chapter 14, verse 18, the simple inherit folly. But the prudent are crowned with knowledge. So knowledge is the antithesis. Knowledge is the solution, but we know knowledge isn't wisdom. So simple people probably think they're wise. They probably think they're doing what's best. Don't worry about all that stuff. Here's where you should be. Simple people think they're maintaining control, but truth is it's an illusion of control. Truly, it's a participation in this desire for God being pacified by whatever's easily accessible. It's idol worship. It's taking the closest God, whatever's going to convict me the least, whatever's going to force me to change anything the least amount. That's my God. Because that's easy. So we could think of a simple person as pleasant or likable because they're easy to get along with or they're always down for a good time. They, they're agreeable. They make parties fun. They bring the best beer. The problem is their inability to ever make a decision eventually grows incredibly frustrating. And they drag down the group. They destroy the community. In fact, Within a community filled with simple people, they, we never see maturity. We never see growth because we resist stepping into difficult things. We don't want to process through pain. It's not simple enough. We don't want to prepare for the future. It's not simple enough. Instead, we deflect by making a lot of jokes or talking about hard things very insensitively or, or we'll We'll, we'll just turn to whatever's easiest in the moment. So if someone brings up something difficult, we'll look to talking about something else. So did you, did you see the Lakers game? Sucks, man. They didn't make the playoffs. We're trying to have a serious conversation here, simple person. They're, the simple person is childish. Not childlike. Childish. They refuse to grow. They're defined mostly by ignorance, but there's a lot of pride there. It's a different kind of pride that thinks only about themselves and what's easiest for themselves. That's pride. Maybe they don't think highly of themselves and arrogance, but they only think about what's easiest for them. Like a child. A child only thinks about what's best for them. A baby only cries when they don't get their way. Even toddlers, Titus is really struggling to learn. It's not always about you. And Kendrick is really struggling to learn it's not always about you. Because there's some very real ways that naivety shows up in my life, in the same way scoffing shows up in my life, and the same way foolishness shows up in my life. And I would imagine the same is true for you. There's a lot of hope, though, for the naive person. Wisdom personified in the book of Proverbs sets a table and calls out to the simple ones. In chapter 9, verse 4 through 6, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Let him come to me. To him who lacks sense, wisdom says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. There's this beckoning all through the book of Proverbs for the simple to come in and grow. And there should be this calling in the church for the simple to come and grow in the knowledge of God. Come and know the wisdom who is Jesus. Truth is, we've all been fools. We've all been scoffers. And we love to live in simplicity. 
It's the enemy scheming against us to interject these moments of foolishness and scoffing and to, to put forth in front of us the allure of simplicity. Oh, I wish it was easier. I wish I could just go back to being on staff at a mega church. I can hide in the shadows on Sundays. I don't have to worry about day-to-day discipleship. Man, simple. Not all mega churches are that way as a qualifier. But I think that it's important for us to also recognize in Proverbs, it's not just these that I've named. There are also within the church many people who are just wounded. We're hurting. Proverbs talks about this in terms of having a, a crushed spirit. So to really drive this home, I think it's important we consider some people are just really hurt. Sometimes the wounded take on foolishness or scoffing behavior. Sometimes the wounded hide in naivety. The wounded just can't see because they're crying. Everything's blurry. So they make foolish decisions or they scoff at truth or they prefer what's simple because it just hurts too much. So I'm a sinner saved by grace through faith. I'm talking about Kendrick right now, encouraging you to think about yourself. I'm a sinner saved by grace, not anything I could ever accomplish, by a faith that's been given to me by God. But I'm not, I'm, so I'm not who I used to be, but I certainly slipped back into that. And just 31, working on 32 years of life, I have experienced quite a bit of pain. And I've refused to deal with it for most of my life. It's just too hard. It's too much to work through. But because of that, I live a lot of my life in the flesh. Because I've built this mindset of maintaining things in my life. And I've built these compartments in my mind where I've stuffed painful things deep. And I've set aside planning for the future because, you know, who can really predict it? I've even used scripture to say, I don't have to worry about the future. God's got that as a cop out to live into into simplicity because I don't want to be hurt anymore. So at times, Kendrick is a fool. At times, I am incredibly, incredibly judgmental. I'm a scoffer, sticking my nose in the air at people who drink Folgers or whatever else. I think so highly of myself. I slip a joke into a difficult thing like drinking Folgers because it's hard. I prefer the simpler way of dealing with things. I've used humor as a defense mechanism my entire life because it's easier than talking about father wounds, than talking about navigating racial tensions as a biracial person. It's so much easier than worrying about, am I going to abandon my children? It's so much easier just to joke about my dad issues on Father's Day instead of like really dealing with it. And when I depend on Kendrick to maintain my life, when I depend on the wisdom I think I have, I no longer walk in the spirit. I walk in the flesh and my spirit is crushed. And the book of Proverbs talks a lot about this. In 14 verse 18, it says, A man's spirit will endure sickness. Like we can endure physical pain. A man's spirit will endure sickness. But a crushed spirit, who can bear it? When your spirit's crushed, It's hard to bear. 
So I don't even understand my own emotions at times, my own reactions to things. As a wounded person, the wounded test out everything because we don't want to trust anyone or anything. We're afraid to be ourselves. We're afraid to let down our guard. We're afraid to celebrate and laugh and relax. We're afraid to enter the reality of pains and griefs and actually lament things. We're, we're reminded that the flesh seems more secure. In fact, we're fooled into thinking the flesh is more secure. We're fooled into thinking my wisdom is greater than the wisdom of God. That happens to the wounded over and over again. And unfortunately, the church has been a horrible place for wounded people. And unfortunately, I see some ways in which the crossing has been a horrible place for wounded people. Because when wounded people encounter fools, they're taken advantage of. They're left empty and headed to destruction. And when wounded people encounter scoffers, they're crushed in shame because they can never measure up. They can never be enough. They can never have the theological fortitude that the people of the crossing have. They can never espouse all the language of Soma churches. They can never measure up. So they're crushed. They're not loved. And when fools encounter, I mean, when wounded encounter other wounded people, which we also abound in, they just hurt together and never grow. And when fools, I mean, when wounded encounter the simple, the simple would rather just ignore the pain and be an enabler because, you know, it's all good. It's going to be all right. Everybody hurts. You know, it'll be all right. So for our own sakes and for the sake of the kingdom, for the glory of God, we need wisdom. We need wise men and women. We need to understand we aren't wise. We need to pursue Jesus with all that we have to gain wisdom that we can never gain in our own abilities, in our, in our own efforts, in our own studies. The fool needs to see his folly and repent. The scoffer needs to see who she is or who he is and be humbled. The simple need to learn. And the wounded need to grieve and heal. And all of that's possible if we could just look into the face of Christ. If we, we truly know the gospel and move into action because of the gospel, the wise are the opposite of everything we talked about. The wise repent. The wise are humble. The wise are knowledgeable. And the wise are whole. And they're healed because they rightly see who God is without first looking at themselves. The wise do good things for those around them without trying to weigh out, does this benefit me or not? But they are not wise in their own effort or their own experience. Necessarily so, we must seek a wisdom that's beyond us. Even, even humanly wise people know that. You have to seek something outside of yourself. And God would say, I've given it to you. In 1 Corinthians 1.25, for the foolishness of God, so catch this, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. So if it were possible that God could be foolish, which it's impossible, but if it were possible for God to be foolish, he would still be infinitely wiser than our wisest people on their wisest day. If it were possible for God to be weak, 
He's still infinitely stronger than our strongest people on their strongest day. So hear me clearly. You are not strong enough. You cannot fix these problems. The problems within you, the problems in your relationships, or the problems within this church, you cannot fix them. You don't have the wisdom that it takes. But we know the one who has it. God's wisdom, unlike the wisdom of this world, is not accessible just through devotion and and trying to figure out the right things to do. It's not accessible just through reading the book of Proverbs and saying, okay, I'm going to do these things. It's only accessible through right positioning of your heart. The fear of the Lord is the initiation of wisdom. Submitting yourself to God. It's not just an adherence to instruction, but trust in, reverence for, and submission to the Lord. That's Proverbs 1, 7, and Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, and Proverbs 9, 10, and and many other places. We have to submit ourselves to God. We have to fear who our God is and know who He is. So consider consider your life. I'm going to ask you some questions. Ask these questions of yourself to determine, are you a wise person? Do you live like you don't really need much grace? Where in your life are you tempted to think you are wiser than God? So what decisions are you making? What plans do you have where you think your way is wiser than God's? In what ways do you think you have a better plan than He does? How do you reason that it's sometimes okay to step over the boundaries God's given us? Where do you, like Adam and Eve, logically or, sorry, illogically function as if there could possibly be a better way than God's way? Where do you believe this lie in your life that it's somehow possible for you to be smarter than God? Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 7. Yet among the mature, we, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So divine wisdom said apart from all the other wisdoms in the world, divine wisdom has been planned for us before creation. So it will not fail us. It's not something we gain, so we can't lose it in our efforts because we didn't gain it in our efforts. He gives it to us. And when imparted to us by His Holy Spirit, and when we walk according to that wisdom by faith and grace, we cannot fail to attain the glory and the joy that God decreed before the creation of anything. He decreed we'd have glory, we'd have joy in the wisdom that is Christ. It's been blood bought for us and given to us freely if you'd only ask for it. That's James 1 verse 5. Ask God for it and you'll get it. So don't make the mistake of thinking that wisdom is about obtaining knowledge and happiness. No, we get Jesus. It's not about figuring out how to live an easy life. We get Jesus. And sometimes that's a hard life, but it's the best life. We actually get what's best for us, not what we think is best for us. And if you feel like a fool this morning, if you feel at all shamed by your sin, then I've got good news. Jesus loves to save sinners. As I was reminded by a friend this week, not only does he love to save sinners, 
That's the only kind of person he saves. So you have to come to terms with the fact that you are a fool. You are a sinner. And that's a good place to be because that's who Jesus saves. Jesus is wisdom. He humbled himself. He became a fool. Naked, he became a fool on the cross. And he was mocked. And he was wounded as we have been wounded. And he became sin. And he died. And then mocking sin and death, he rose victoriously from that grave. So trusting in him and repenting and believing frees us from the shame that's attached to our sin and our foolishness. Oh, that we might have a God who gives us freely what we can never gain for ourselves. And then we look at Christ and we realize that's the very God we have. If we could only see God's wisdom is far greater than ours. If we could only love God's wisdom more than we love our own. Because there we have freedom. As the band comes up, I'm going to read two passages from the book of Proverbs. And then we're going to worship this king. The first passage is a warning. The second passage is an invitation. Proverbs chapter 5, 21 through 23. For man's ways are before, his, before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The, iniqu- or the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he's led astray. There's a warning. There's only destruction and folly. But then we see this beautiful invitation in chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. Wisdom personified. Wisdom cries aloud from the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries aloud. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. And here's the invitation. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm grateful that we can have wisdom. When we get Christ, we get wisdom. Help us, Lord, to care for those in our lives, not like fools or scoffers or simple people, but that we would care with great wisdom to love, to sacrifice, to do what it takes to see people saved and reunited with the Father. Show us, Lord, how we are easily distracted in our foolishness. Show us how we are seeking the easy way by being simple. Show us how we are being judgmental and arrogant in our scoffing. And let us be quick to repent. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for mercy. For not striking us down in our sin. But while we were sinners, you died for us. I pray that we would would long for wisdom. And that we'd find it freely given to us as we ask you for it this morning. As we partake in communion. As we give in our tithes and offering. As we sing songs of praise. Father, be worshipped. For you are worthy of all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.